It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa. We are now going to be affiliated with the inaugural launch of the Hockey Writers Podcast page over at thehockeywriters.com. We're talking with J.D. Styles from Cali Sports News, reporting live from the Stanley Cup Finals. And today we're being joined by the first general manager in Las Vegas franchise history, George McPhee. With Pat Quinn, you know, I'm likely the finest man I've ever met in my life. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Quinn Malarchek. There's something about George McPhee that everybody says is a good pick. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and we're talking with Dana Lane, play-by-play voice of the UNLV Rebel Hockey Team and owner of Dana Lane Sports. Joining us now is Matt Pryor of thehockeywriters.com. He's coming to us from the Dallas Stars training camp. Hello, hockey fans. This is Mark Warner once again. Welcome to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm here, as always, with Chris Lisa. Chris, good day to you, sir. How we doing there, buddy? We're doing good. We're doing good. We got a, a real good show. We're going to look at a couple of the up-and-coming teams that might be outperforming themselves uh, so far in the young season. Maybe not such a young season. We're uh, past the quarter pole, and, and Ottawa and Columbus are right spots, so we're bringing and a couple cover those teams, Mark Scheig and Colton Prale, respectively, to uh, break down what's going on in the young season and what they may need to improve on if they're going to maintain their playoff position as we get deeper into the season. But uh, what's going on with you, man? Not much. A uh, number of uh, news to get to this week. I guess starting off with the, uh, the, the story that broke early in the week on the uh, Vegas uh, trademark issue, the, the, the Golden Knights name. Yeah, news started coming out Thursday, I think, Thursday, Friday-ish, that, that there was going to be some trouble with that. Um, I guess everybody knows by now, uh, judging from my Twitter feed, that um, due to the small college, I think, in New York, that they are already the Golden Knights and that the U.S. Patent Office has rejected the Golden Knights moniker for the young Las Vegas franchise. Um, it seems, and, and I've reached out to the team for official word, and and they have not got back to me yet for uh, with a comment or a news release on on what the next steps are going to be. But generally speaking, they have six months to put in basically an appeal process saying why their 
version of Golden Knights won't be a trademark infringement on the already named the Golden Knights. Um, I don't know. You think you'd have all that in place before uh, before getting all the bells and whistles out and throwing the big announcement party there at T-Mobile, Chris? What's uh, what's the general consensus out there on it? It's kind of a kind of a stubbed big toe, if if what I'm seeing is the is the feeling out there. Yeah, and uh, I'm not a trademark attorney, nor do I play one on a hockey podcast. But uh, <laughs> uh, like, you, uh, like you, I would have thought that the process would be, you know, you, before making that final step of any team saying this is our team name, you you run it by the, you get the official go ahead from the trademark office, and I'm sure their own attorneys, uh, as well as uh, I would think that step might have been reached out to, and maybe the last step is a formality, and they got bad information, and maybe someone in the trademark office, you know, want to make it. Because it seems like when you look at other team names, and there's common names, you know, there's the Carolina Panthers, there's the Florida Panthers. I, you can, you know, there's the Miami Hurricanes, there's the Carolina Hurricanes. So right, the the Boston Bruins, Boston Bruins, UCLA Bruins. Um, right, you go on down so the list. A bit strange, and being from uh, in New York, um, not although I'm not in New York State, I, I've uh, nothing against this college, but I, I've I've never heard of it. I've lived in New York my my whole life, so <laughs> uh, so it, it is a bit strange. It it makes it appear that Vegas, uh, you know, kind of make a made a bad step, but maybe they, they were just a victim of uh, of a bad decision. Uh, but be that as it may, the NHL and Vegas seem pretty confident that. They'll get through this, and and, and uh, it will remain the Golden Knights. And I would imagine, uh, you know, over the next couple of months or so, that they get this uh, rectified. Yeah, it'd be kind of interesting what happens with all the merch. <laughs> if I mean, I guess the logo would remain the same. If you have to change to a different form of knights, that you wouldn't need to change that to me. By the way, I'm uh, the logo's sick. I'm just gonna go out and say that right now I, last week and it the the logo's solid it, you just gotta uh, i don't think it'd be a long-term problem but it does seem kind of odd that that all that wasn't in place and way back you um a lot of people were surprised that they didn't have a team name at the official announcement back in june when they said that, yes, Las Vegas is going to be the 31st franchise in the National Hockey League. Um, and now here we are in December, and it's still sort of up in the air. So kind of weird, kind of strange. Um, growing pains, I guess. I've seen all kind of different comments. Um, but I guess I guess we'll wait and see. I think in the long run it's going to be the Golden Knights, but if they – Ah, if they do need to change it, that would be kind of a mess. Anyway, let's move on to some on-ice uh, on ice news. Uh, foremost this week with the, the Hurricanes, or not the Hurricanes, sorry, the Canadians, um, Alex Galchenyuk out for six to eight weeks with what appeared to be a leg-on-leg -leg collision with Kopitar there in the Kings game earlier earlier in the week and Ducharnay also out six to eight weeks. Um, real unfortunate for them after the great start they've been off to, but even, even before that injury in the last 
about 11 games or so, they've kind of gone back to the 2.2, 2.3 average goals for. Um, and and obviously when we did our, our season preview episode, that was the focus. And we thought Radulov being the wild card, what else were they going to do for scoring? Well, Radulov has turned out to be a gym and a great, great signing for the Canadians. And maybe if Pacioretty can pick up some of the scoring what are they what are they going to do now uh with their number one center andy charnay out yeah i think the bigger thing was the, the the word was that the canadians you know wanted to get better at center and then they lost Desjardins in galchenyuk now so that is something uh to look out for although you know i'm not sure you know everyone's been talking about that they're looking at you know tops you know a second line center but you know, I'm not sure what they're uh, – they don't want to touch the core of this team, so that's going to be a hard trade to pull off, I won't think. But be that as it may, you know, yeah, it's definitely – but look, injuries are going to happen to every team. They have other players that have to step up, uh, both offensively and defensively. It didn't seem to affect them last night as they beat the Colorado Avalanche 10-1. to I guess uh, they wanted to get revenge on somebody after they lost early in the year 10-1. to um, But – yeah, they, they they will be fine with Carey Price and uh, you know they have a they have a, they have a good team. You know this this is uh, uh, it seems like uh, they have an excellent uh, chance to win the division and it will be you know a team to watch. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be uh, picking them to get very far in the playoffs. So you know they're going to have to get through this bump in the road. Hopefully for them they don't have any more injuries at the forward unit because then uh, then get a, a little bit thin at that point. Well, looking into it a little bit, I've seen a lot of the on the Montreal Canadiens forums that the Philip Deneau, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, I'm not sure, is someone they've all been waiting for to get a chance to get some some real minutes. Um, early early returns, I guess, is lying last night, two goals, three assists, five points, if I was looking at it correctly. Um, what do you know about him, and is, is he going to be a, a, a nice additional piece so there some of the things I, I read and take it for what it will it's a message board but they said this is the this is the bigger more skilled version of a Charney and when he returns that's that's kind of a depth piece that's going to you know bode well farther down the road what do you think of him yeah if memory serves correct he was the guy Montreal got last year uh, from the Blackhawks in one of those deadline deals and when we had uh, David Tuz on talking about him, he's a guy that, uh, a young guy that projects as either he's going to be a real good third liner or his feeling is going to be a top six forward. Um, so, yeah, this is a great opportunity for him. He has 12 points on the year, five of which came in last night. So, uh, right. uh, in, this period, in this period of time, you know, he just has to go in and, and contribute. He's good, but this is a good, op- a great opportunity uh, for him, so that's what you need sometimes with those young guys when you have the injuries, and uh, you know, step in. He's going to get more minutes. Uh, he seems like a, ta- uh, a talented young player. You know, he's only 23, good size. You know, six one, 193 pounds, and um, yeah, I, I think I think he could be at bare minimum. He could be very solid for them. I mean, five point nights will probably few and far between, but. Uh, Right. Uh, overall, I, I I think that's a that's a good guy to have on your third line that you can kind of piece in uh, when injuries happen. Okay. Well, I guess we'll we'll 
kind of wait and see. I, I'm not as optimistic as you are for them. And uh, one of the teams that we're highlighting today, the Ottawa Senators, are right there in their back pocket. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they're seven points back now, and they did have that outburst last night. But like, like you mentioned, they lost a 10-1 game. They won a 10-1 game. I don't look at that as – you know, an indictment on Columbus, you know, you're going to have those. <laughs> every, everyone's going to have those games at one point or another coming through the season. Um, but if Ottawa can keep doing what they're doing, they could put a push on uh, eight weeks is a long time to be without your number one center and trying to put pieces together. So I, I think they either look, look, I mean, it's difficult to make a trade. Like you said, you might have to move draft picks and maybe some of the younger kids that they're, you know, counting on in a year or two, maybe to come in and fill those boxes in the whiteboard. But um, I think Ottawa might be able to put a push on, and we'll be asking our guest later in the show about that. What else do we got to break the ice with this week? I guess the last thing is uh, the Islanders re-signed Cal Clutterbuck, uh, who was going to be a free agent at the end of the year to a five-year extension. Does not contain a no-move clause, and what was interest- what's interesting about that move from an expansion standpoint, obviously the Islanders are believe in Cal Clutterbuck, and, and very well that they should. I know if you went to Twitter and such, a lot of people have been critical of it. But, you know, in this day and age, a guy with a $3.5 million cap hit who's a good all-around player, uh, that's a good number. Uh, and he's only, I think he's recently turned 29 uh, this past uh, past 30 days. So uh, age shouldn't be a factor. He's been very durable. He's, you know, he's a guy where it's the sum of all the parts. You know, uh, he's a, he's an instigator, agitator, killer. He, he physical presence. I think the last couple of years he's finished only to Matt Martin and hit. He's good in secondary scoring. He scores big goals. He's a team leader on the ice in the locker room. But what's interesting to me about that is, uh, all along I was thinking that the Islanders were going to go with eight skaters because they have this young very talented defenseman in Ryan Pulak and with the Islanders already having three defensemen uh, to protect that they were going to go the eighth skater route. And now I'm not so sure with the, uh, you know, signing Casey Sezikis to an extension over the summer with the recent play of Anders Lee uh, getting back to form from a couple of years ago and now Cal Clutterbuck. So uh, I wonder if there's, there's a shoot to drop between now and the deadline with them. But, uh, I thought it was a solid. I thought it was a solid pickup, and um, there were, uh, if he wasn't signed and moved at the deadline, there would have been a number of teams uh, interested in him. Interesting. Are you looking at this through your Homer glasses, maybe a little bit? Um, just, just, yeah, uh, really just, a, just, an honest question. Yeah, no, I think he's a real good player who does a lot of things for a hockey team. I think if you're playing fantasy hockey. Or if you're a hockey fan that just looks at, well, how many goals does someone have, how many points that they have, uh, he's the kind of guy that you're not going to grasp, you know, how much he means to a team. I mean, if a couple of years ago one looked at Dustin Brown, uh, you know, I'm not putting him in that class, but, you know, someone like that, they would kind of lose on all the different things that a player can can bring. So, uh, and again, you know, $3.5 million cap, cap hit, there's not a, you know, people, uh, I just wrote a, an article uh, for Last Word on Sports. Uh, people should check it out at lastwordonhockey.com about why there aren't any NHL trades anymore. And part of it is the rise in player salaries. And uh, nearly 40% of the league makes at least $4 million. Um, and, I, and it's going up and up and up. So 
to get a to get a good good all around player under the age of thirty at a three and a half million dollar cap hit, um, that that's a good number in this day. It really is in this day and age. So, uh, you know, watching down as much as I do, that's what I that's what I would say to people. I think from afar, now watching the games, you know, seeing like, well, he's a guy who scored fifteen goals, he's a good player, but you know, yada yada yada. So. Uh, uh, I, I I would have thought that he would have been a, one of the most sought after guys at the trade deadline, simply because uh, simply he can help a team in so many ways, but also because there's going to be very few uh, meaningful players moved at this day at the deadline as well. Well, not, not getting to see as much Islanders hockey as I would, would you uh, kind of compare him down maybe Ryan Callahan and the role that he plays with Tampa to uh, maybe a Ryan Callahan light there in, in New York? Not as much of a scorer, uh, but uh, not much of a scorer and more of uh, well, Callahan can be a pest too, but I think uh, uh, most people would put Clutterbuck on the top of the pest list. He drives some uh, people crazy. But, but, uh, so it's Steve uh, Avery. Yeah, but not, obviously, yeah, not much, as much of a scorer because as you saw a couple of years ago when that trade was made and Callahan read up with, the, with Tampa. He's making, I believe, five and a half, five point seven million. So they're, they're right. Lies. So um, yeah, and, and like I said, what'll be interesting is, you know, he doesn't have a no move clause. So theoretically, I mean, the owners don't have to protect him. And before, I wouldn't think if he was going to be a pending UFA, it was. Uh, I doubt he would be an option for George McPhee. That could be a, uh, a segment we do on another show. Uh, would he be interested in any of those kind of guys? But. If for whatever reason the Islanders, uh, due to certain circumstances, leave him exposed, he could be uh, an option for George McPhee. Interesting. Well, I see Mark on hold right now, so let me let me go ahead and bring in Mark Scheich. He uh, writes for the Hockey Writers, covers the Columbus Blue Jackets, and also uh, the Cleveland Monsters and Erie Otters of the OHL. Mark, are you with us? Hi, guys. How's it going? Welcome in, sir. Welcome back. It's good to talk to you again, sir. Great talking to you both as well. Can't, can't wait to do it. All right. So uh, break down last night's game for us. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Really I'm a, <laughs> talk well, about breaking the ice. A, yeah, well, four goals in the third period certainly one way to announce to yourself um, that, you know, you're, that they are a really good team, especially against a division rival who's had their number, especially in the last five games. Islanders won five in a row in last year's series. So a lot of us thought this wouldn't be an easy game. And, you know, for two periods, it was a two-to-two -two game, and then Nick Letty made a game-changing turnover. And that's what I think has been the key for Columbus this year, is they are so opportunistic. When they are presented an opportunity – like that turnover, like a two-on-one, a three-on-two. They're taking full advantage of what they're given to them, and that has really propelled them to the good start that they have um, this year. And the, the, the Letty turnover was something that, um, after the game, he, 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 he took it hard on himself. You know, he admitted that he was the one that made the mistake and it, it ended up costing them the game, and I mean, it's going to be a great series all the way around. They play three more times this year, and we expect it to not always be 6-2 to two like that, but I think it was certainly a wake-up call for the Islanders that this isn't their Grandpa's Blue Jackets, that this is actually a really good team that's 
not only going to fight for a playoff spot, but you know they keep this up. They're going to fight for the Metropolitan Division. We all know how tough that is, given how the Rangers are doing, how the Penguins are doing. I think the Islanders are a better team than they've demonstrated so far. Long way to go, though. And Columbus hasn't, hasn't really proven anything yet. They've got the wins, but they've got to be able to keep it going. I love the way you didn't turn that into an indictment of Islanders hockey in deference to our, our esteemed co-host Chris over there. Um, they're sitting 17-5-4, 38 points. Uh, you know, if they're in the Atlantic, they're in second place. Uh, but with Philadelphia and Washington right behind them, Metro's turning into one of the tightest divisions in hockey this year. And you mentioned whether they – are going to be able to keep it going. What's the key to their sustainability? And um, is it improved play this year in the, in the net? Is it uh, the defense? Uh, how's Seth Jones doing? And is, you know, he came over midseason last year. Uh, is he justifying the price of a number one center in that trade? What's a uh, couple of the keys so far that are a bright spot looking forward in that sustainability category? You, you, you nailed them, really. Um, Bobrovsky staying healthy and playing, I think, the best hockey in his career to this point. I mean, numbers way above his um, career average to this point. But um, that, that, that's where it starts. I mean, you did have a brick wall like that, have a goals against a, a, just a little bit over two a game, and he's on quite a roll. I want to say he's like 11-1-2 in his last 14 starts or something like that. It's just a ridiculous number. You can be seeing the puck so well and just doing everything that he needs to do. He's put a lot of stress on that groin. And, you know, ask any Blue Jacket fan coming into the year, everyone was worried about how's he going to hold up. And at least thus far, whatever they've done in the summer, you know, they've admitted that they changed their routine a little bit to make sure that um, he's faster, more nimble. You know, they admitted that he was a little too muscular, so he was a little more susceptible to injury. They changed that, so he came in a little bit slimmer, and you can tell that at least thus far it's working. Um, but that's not all. They haven't had to depend on him to steal games like they have in past years, and that's a testament to the defense. And I think one of the biggest underrated hires throughout the league was assistant coach Brad Shaw, who spent, God, however many years in St. Louis making that defense look really good you can kind of start to see the imprint he's leaving on the Blue Jackets just because of the way they play. They're, they're so positionally sound, and if you look at the tape on them, there are very, very few on-man rushes against them. I mean, it's a complete turnaround. They finished like 29th or 30th in the league last year in goals against. This year, they're second. I mean, it's an unbelievable turnaround just because of the way that they've been able to change the style of play. I mean, now you have Ryan Murray, who's a, you know, a lot of people would consider a franchise defenseman playing on his offside on the third pair. They're not asking him to do as much. And a lot of people worried about him. Like, well, he's actually doing okay for himself. There's no pressure on him. And he's actually in a position where he's not making the big mistake. And that's what they're asking for. Um, Seth Jones, you mentioned, um, the way that he can get a puck out of the zone is just a delight. And Columbus fans are not used to seeing that type of defenseman who can just get the puck out, get transition going. Been a huge difference. Zach Wierenski, of course, 19 years old, 
all world doing everything and then some that you can ask for completely transforming the power play as the quarterback on the point. And you haven't even mentioned Jack Johnson and David Savard yet. They both have taken their games to the next level where Tortorella even mentioned that they've arrived as a defensive pair after the Islander game last night. Cause if you take a look, they're not playing as many minutes, but they are actually playing a shutdown role where they're actually going up against, you know, maybe a little bit lesser competition because Lorenzo and Jones are playing on the top pair, but they're doing the job. And Jack Johnson has been a minus player his whole career. He's like mm. plus 10 or plus 11. Now he scored his first goal in 41 games yesterday. And you could just tell that the confidence is sky high with him. So you combine the defense, you combine Lebrowski, and then you take a look at players like Nick Foligno, who are enjoying a rebound year, Cam Atkinson doing his thing, Josh Anderson. Guys are just stepping up. They're playing better hockey. So when you kind of look at the whole picture, everything, at least thus far, has fallen into place for them. And... You know, this far into the season, it's not a fun. Will they keep this going the whole season, this kind of pace? Probably not. But are they going to fall flat on their face? Probably not. So it's 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 legit what's going on there. So one thing I I wanted to ask too, and you and you brought it up already was uh, Jack Johnson. Before I throw it over to Chris here, um, you know, when he came out of Michigan, he had his his JMFJ nickname. And, you know, it doesn't take a, a genius to figure out what those MF stands for there. But Kings fans, before the Carter deal, changed that to be Jack minus forever Johnson. And seeing him seeing him at the plus 10, plus 12 range this far into the season has to be a delight for uh, Blue Jackets fans all around. And then again, you and you mentioned Bobrovsky, and he might be playing his best his best hockey of his career, and that's saying something for a Vesna Trophy winner. Um, I, I, it's not too far in the past where he came out publicly and said, I've lost my confidence. I don't know what I'm doing in the mm-hmm. net. And then how, how much of that do you think, is, as you said, the, the six D-men are playing as a very cohesive unit right now. Um, how how much of the obviously there's a, a symbiotic relationship between the improved D play and Bobrovsky's play in net. How much of that um, builds that confidence in a player like Bobrovsky, who seems to have been fragile in the past in that mental capacity? Well, yeah, I mean, the, they're very there's very much a relationship between the two, especially if you consider how many shots the Blue Jackets gave up last year. Um, I mean, he. You know, goalies, ask most goalies, you know, they, they want the work. They want to be able to feel the puck. And early in the year, when when they fell down to 0-8, they weren't stopping anything. And it just made himself question, you know, what's going on? Is it me? Is it a defense? Well, you could definitely argue that it was both. I mean, somebody like Bobrovsky, who's a former Vesman winner, like you said, is going to, you know, be real with himself to say, you know, I'm, I have no confidence whatsoever. Um and he he really didn't. He, he, it felt like you could fire a beach ball at him and it would beat him last year. But mm-hmm. now you take a look at the defense. Early on, they were still giving up a lot of shots. I think after like the first, I don't know, handful of games, they were giving up the fourth most shots in the league. Since then, they've gone from a minus six in the shot differential to plus two. They went, I think, like nine or ten games in a row where they let thirty shot under thirty shots go against. So Bobrovsky, they haven't had to depend on him as much to be able to steal a game because the team 
is playing so much better in front of him. It's, it also seems like that he's fresher as well. And he's just seen the puck so well when he has depend on it. I mean, I think that, you know, kind of going back, the good sign was seeing him in the World Cup of Hockey when he was Russia's best player, especially in that Canada game. Even though that, even though Russia didn't win, you could tell Bobrovsky was confident, especially when he catches that puck and holds it out for you to see. That's when you know that he's completely dialed in, and you know, just you know, working with him in the off season, you know, the team, the way that the team has, and then having a vastly improved defense in front of him has just made him absolutely do wonders and. Brandon Dubinsky said it best yesterday, post game. They said, "We expect to win now." And before you could, nobody in there ever said that about the Columbus Blue Jackets, but they believe. And it starts with in net. I mean, Yarmo Kekalainen always said, "Build from the back end out," and that was part of the reason for the Ryan Johansson, Seth Jones trade because they needed a right shot defenseman. They, you know, a lot of people thought that they overpaid, giving up a number one center. But look how good that trade is now when you consider what they're doing and that Alexander Wenberg might be the number one center. So Yarmo knew what he was kind of doing there. He needed to overpay because you can't get a right shot defenseman like that in any ordinary circumstance. Sometimes you have to overpay to address a glaring need, and it was the most obvious need on the team. And they addressed it. And because they addressed that, it's ultimately helped Bobrovsky improve in his game. Hey, Mark, it's Chris here. So i got a couple questions for you. You know, I saw something last hey, night and, and uh, uh, being in the New York area that I hadn't seen in a long uh, – I don't remember ever when he was the head coach of the Rangers. And I had 36, 30 seconds of the game as a stoppage uh, for a few minutes to fix Bobrovsky's skate. And on TV, they actually showed John Tortorello sitting around and smiling. And I go, wait a minute, is this the John Tortorello that I remember coaching over here and, and in the past? So it made me wonder, has he tweaked his style at all uh, in terms of, you know, uh, the off-season training camp and dealing with the – and during the season this year dealing with the player? Oh, that's a really good question, Chris. And he's actually on record when he's spoken at different times to say he has changed. And he's admitted that he's needed to change because of the way that the league is going. And you're right, there have been times where he has been smiling. He's been having a good time. In fact, if you get them get a chance, <clears throat> pull up when Matt Calvert scored that shorthanded goal that ultimately won the game. That was the same game that he took the puck in the face and he had to go out and get like 30-some stitches and came back with the bandage on. When Calvert scored that goal, there was a camera on Tortorella, and he is the biggest smile I've ever seen on his face, and he gave a big fist pump. And you just knew at that moment that what he was saying, he, he actually meant what he said, that he learned his lessons from the past. You know, obviously a lot of people have this impression of him that he's not a good coach, that he's out of touch and all the different incidents in his career. Um, you know, for, when he, when he came down for his first press conference, you know, being introduced in Columbus, um, he, he openly admitted and said, you know, I'm, I'm learning too. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for this chance. I didn't think I was going to get it. And <clears throat> He's taking it and run with it, and he's actually putting in a style that is working in the league now, which is a more north-south style. Um, he admitted he's trying to take the D-to-D pass away. He's, he's actually been a lot more progressive than I thought that he would be, and you know, it, it's a wonderful thing to see because it, it's proving that he actually is a really good coach, especially with a young team. 
I think there's a lot of similarities between what's going on in Columbus now to when he had the young Tampa Bay team before they won their cup. And you saw that he went into a situation, helped Tampa become good, ultimately won a cup. I think he's doing the same thing here. I think he's in a position in Columbus where he can thrive more doing what he's good at. You know, we're with the Rangers, he made me a couple playoff appearances, but then Vancouver, there was not much success there. It wasn't exactly an area where he could thrive in. He's doing it now and he's proving that he's in the market to learn. So he's definitely changed the perception. No longer the, no, no longer the old situation. Like when you saw him go in the locker room in Calgary, those days are over. So, um, you know, Mark, so if let's say tomorrow uh, George McPhee, the Vegas GM, called you and wanted your opinion and said, Mark, we're either going to take William Carlson or Josh Anderson from the Blue Jackets because uh, we, we expect both to be available, uh, what would you, your recommendation be on which player we should take? And Am I missing someone, or are those the two we should be looking at hard? Hmm. Fabulous question in the sense that, one, who knows how that's going to shake out depending on if anybody decides to move their no-move clause. I'm looking at you, David Clarkson. But regardless, if you're asking about those two players, um, that's a fabulous question. I, I, I think that you could even throw Matt Calvert into that mix as somebody who could potentially be available. Like, because of how many no-move clauses there are. Bobrovsky's not going anywhere. Dubinsky, Polino, Hartnell. Dude. And you would imagine with a 7-3-1 setup, I think that's what the, the way that the Blue Jackets would go. Wenberg's going to probably be protected. Saad's going to probably be protected. Boone Jenner's off to a slow start, but I think the general consensus is he's going to be protected. And where does that leave Cam Atkinson? Where does that leave Matt Calvert, William Carlson, Josh Anderson? Columbus has some interesting young players that Las Vegas will look at. I know Las Vegas has had a ton of scouts at the Blue Jackets game. In fact, not that long ago when they were in D.C., there were six of them at that game. Like six different Vegas scouts watching Columbus. And I know that there's been a couple at most of the games since. So there's a real interesting discussion where I've seen everything from Jonas Corposalo who's down in Cleveland right now, but is still eligible. He could be picked as a young goaltender who you know played well last year to the guys that you mentioned. So who would I recommend? It's uh, a great question. Carlson's a center. So I think center depth is something that you would want to address. But Josh Anderson is really coming to his own this year. Big power forward is not afraid to ruffle some feathers. Um, actually been a real help in the bottom six of Columbus. Um, I would give a slight edge to Anderson for that because I just think he brings a few more elements in his game that I think would ultimately help a team. But it's certainly that could go either way, depending on you know who else you have, makeup of the team, you know what you're looking for. It's just a bunch of variables in play. But I would give the slight edge to Anderson there, just because of what all he can bring to the table. He can score you. 10, 15 goals. He's on pace to do that, but he's not. A, he'll hit you. Um, he'll get in your face. Um, just a good, the great type of player that Columbus would love to have. But you know, so would everybody else. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, real quick, uh, we have Colton on hold, so just to wrap up, what I've read is the league is going to give, uh, when we have the PlanMyTeam.com uh, guys on, that Clarkson, mm-hmm. players like him, even though they have a no move, uh, with the long-term injured reserve, uh, they're going to fall under a category of being exempt, even if they have a no move. And I would imagine, mm-hmm. even if that doesn't come into play, given his situation, he'd probably waive it. Um, but I even so, that's going to slot I think uh, Winberg and Atkinson in. So you know, unless they unless someone has a bad year, uh, and and they they do a little bit of a surprise and let's say protect an Anderson or a Carlson. And then leave Boone Jenner out there, and then you know also from a cap uh, cap uh, consideration standpoint too. I don't know how much that would come come in with, but it sounds like Columbus is definitely gonna they're gonna lose a really good player, and probably at the forward position would be my guess because uh, those there's a lot of defensemen gonna be available in the expansion, but not not uh, this level of a forward. So. Uh, well, Mark, we'd love to have you come back on, maybe uh, close to the trade deadline, see where Columbus yeah. is at, and and see uh, if you think uh, they'll be active at the deadline uh, and trying to make a big playoff push. Yeah, real, I'll just say real quick the answer to that. I feel like they're going to try to get an upgrade behind Bobrovsky, like if he were to get injured. Um, Curtis McElhaney, I'm not sure, would be able to be a workhorse. So I'd expect them to maybe look at somebody like an Anders Nielsen in Buffalo or somebody who can – step in when Bobrovsky needed the break. Um, and I would expect them to take a good look at Martin Hansel. I know his name's been out there a little bit. Elliot Friedman mentioned him. He'd be a wonderful bottom six addition just to help with the depth. But yeah, I would expect a little bit of activity from Columbus for sure. All right, Mark, we're going to let you go. I got, I got our next, I got our next guest on hold here. Thank you for coming in and uh, let me get an early reservation for you for uh next season's draft party for sure we're going to have you back for that that was a lot of fun oh uh, well thanks for having us guys appreciate it all right and real quick, and now uh, uh, go ahead uh mark though everyone could find mark's work at the the hockeywriters.com and he's on twitter at thw mark so give him a follow yeah. Yes, sir. And he also does a lot of OHL work and he really know he's got his eye on the, the, the juniors and the amateur hockey uh, all year long. We, we go to him quite a bit for that. So let me bring in our next guest, Colton Prail. Am I pronouncing that correct, sir? You are indeed. All right. Colton is an Ottawa Senators writer for the last word on hockey. He also has, <coughs> excuse me, is a host of the Game Time Decision podcast and <coughs> Oh, excuse me. I apologize, gentlemen. <clears throat> Afternoon host for CJ Radio. You can find him at Colton Prail, P- Colton, P-R-A-I-L-L on Twitter, and he links all his all his work through his Twitter page and, and last word on hockey. Colton, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking some Sunday time out to uh, talk a little hockey with us, sir. Thanks for having me. I am always, always up to talk on what Senators hockey. Big time, big time. So su- surprisingly enough, maybe uh, maybe not for the guys that actually follow Ottawa hockey as close as you do, but I, I didn't see too many projections that had them four points clear of Tampa, uh, four points clear of Florida in, in that Atlantic division, only, only seven points behind Montreal, who started out fast, but now there's a chance. We were talking earlier in the show. There's a chance with the, the Galchenyuk and Desjardins injuries, if they slip a little bit, that Ottawa could be 
pushing for first place in this division well past Christmas. Um, what do you what do you say is the the main reason for that? Is it the coaching, um, more cohesive defense? What are we what are we looking at this year in Ottawa? Honestly, I think this season has been more of a surprise to people who actually follow the team religiously uh, okay. <laughs> than, than anyone else. Um, the biggest thing definitely goes to the play of Craig Anderson and Mike Condon. Without those two, the Senators are nowhere near where they are right now in the standings. They have been phenomenal. It just their performances alone are what's brought this team here because outside of them, there's not a lot of positives to talk about with this Senators team. Uh, they have performed admirably given the situations um you're looking at a lot of players who for the majority of the season so far the fans and the coaching staff have wanted a lot more from and they're big name players too it's not just depth players that haven't been performing it's guys like eric carlson who the fans are turning to and saying we need more from you it's guys like mike hoffman mark stone cal Turris, who who people are saying you know what if if you can't perform the way we've seen you perform we're going to be a lottery team yeah yeah and uh Aside, aside from last night's game, the 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 physical play, they they seem to be taking a little bit more interest in grinding games out that are that are closer one goal hockey games uh, than we've seen them in the past. Is that is that indicative of play all year long? Yeah, the, most of their their style has changed. In the past, this was a, a very much a running gun team, and the reason for that was because the defense was abysmal. We couldn't out defend somebody so the hope that was with eric carlson mike hoffman you could outscore somebody uh, and that sort of worked in the past couple of years as they've lost more talent i look at a jason spezza uh, daniel alfredson retiring that's kind of pulled them back a bit and they've been forced to to work on their defensive game and to a certain degree they have improved defensively this season um via Corsi, via fenwick expected goals they are slightly improved they're still a below 500 team in respect to those statistics uh, but they've improved slightly. And part of that, I would definitely give credit to Guy Boucher. Uh, he's found a way to use the defense, I think, more efficiently. He had Mark Borvietsky looking like a capable NHL defender early on, which is a shock to anybody who watches him night in, night out. Um, but there's definitely been a focus on on the old school metrics. You know, Mark Borvietsky leads the league in hits. Eric Carlson leads the lead in block shots and by a decent margin, too. Um, you know, those are those are a little more of the defensive things that you didn't see. They're faster to pucks right. this season, I think. They're better at, at clearing the front of the net. So it's little things like that that has helped clean up the Ottawa Senators game. They're still by no means a strong defensive team. We saw that in San Jose two nights ago. They just got annihilated. They were dominated from minute one to minute 60, and it was ugly. It was really, really ugly. It was basically <laughs> the inverse of what happened in L.A. yesterday. Hey, Colton, it's Chris here. So... uh uh, it's good to talk to you. Uh, I got three questions on three different players. Get your opinion here. Let's start off with Dion Phaneuf. Uh What has he brought to the table uh, for, for the Senators' uh, blue line? Dion Phaneuf is an interesting player because he's not been excellent for the Senators, but he's not been atrocious either. Uh, he's one of their few defenders. He started off, it was... This start of the season was rough, was very, very rough. But from about November 10th to around the end of November, start of December, he was actually solid. One of the team's better defenders, and most of the team was solid, especially in the defensive side of things, in that run of games. It was it was probably the best run of games they've had this season. More than anything, Funuf brings 
a body to the lineup. And, and I don't mean to, to say that to, um, to degrade what he does, but because he's playing those minutes, that means Mark Borowiecki can slot down in the lineup. It means Cody Cece can move up with Dion Phaneuf, who has a little more veteran leadership and experience and can try and bring some stability to CC's game. Worst case, you can put Phaneuf with Eric Carlson and drop Mark, Mark Mathot down with Cody Cece. He brings uh, a presence and an ability to reshift the defensive side of things. We didn't see that so much last season. Um, you know, they had a quality defender in Patrick Weirkosh, but the coaching staff and management didn't really like him. And so they gave him third third tier minutes. They weren't trusting Chris Weidman. He got third tier minutes. That left Cody Cece and Mark Mathot playing top four minutes, which is a disaster. It's a train wreck uh, when they play top four. They're just not at that level yet. So more than anything, Dion Phaneuf just lets other people play minutes they're more comfortable with. And uh, the second player on my list is what has happened to Bobby Ryan? I mean, this was a big trade. The Senators gave up a lot, a young talent, and they traded for a guy who had, you know, four straight years before the shortened lockout season that that had scored between uh, 31 and 35 goals. Uh, You know, he's been a guy that's, you know, broke, you know, been a good offensive player, but nowhere near that level. And this year, it's been a struggle. He only has uh, he only has eight points, only has three goals. What what has happened to Bobby Ryan? Bobby Ryan, year after year, injures his hand, and it's always the you know Ryan's hand is injured. He can't contribute offensively. He can't shoot the puck as much as he'd like. And to a certain degree, there is truth to that information. Since November fifteenth, Bobby Ryan has one shot on goal. He has zero goals and two assists in that time period. Since the Ouch. start of the yeah, since the start of October, he has one goal, no sorry, no goals, three assists and around 12 shots on goal. It's ugly. And his contract is an albatross. And this is a guy making 725 till 2122. The Sens can't move a player like this. He's got a, a no limited no move, no trade. Who's going to take him? At 7.25 with this Not kind Vegas. of production. Nobody wants him. Sens fans have been have been comp- contemplating, you know, let's leave him unprotected. Let's pray to God Vegas takes him. If I am nope. George McPhee, there's no way I'm touching Bobby Ryan with a 10-foot pole. He is not enticing no, at talk- all. The only reason we- they want him is maybe because they have to ki- have to hit cap floor. No, we talked with George McPhee on the show, and he said uh, – you know, he was very specific on the type of players that he wanted. And his statement was, one thing I did learn in Washington was you can get away from a bad player, but you can't get away from a bad contract. We're an Ottawa Senator fan out there hoping that George McPhee would take a flyer on Bobby Ryan. I don't think that's going to be in his, in his wheelhouse, so to speak. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, yeah, my last one actually is is kind of in that vein, uh, it, and I'll say this the same way I, I said to Mark Sheik, who we just had on. If if George McPhee were to call you, Colton, and say, you know, I and uh, I, I know this because I'm working on my next last word on a hockey article about best right wing options uh, for Vegas, and he said to you, Colton, you know, I'm looking at Curtis Lazar, and you know, I, I think he might be unprotected based on who they have to protect. And here's a kid who's only 21, you know, uh, three years ago was a 17th overall pick. He's got offensive skills. He's got 
ideal size. He's he plays two ways. He's, he works hard. He has character, but he he is yet to kind of put it all together. But yet he's he's so young. What can you tell me about Curtis Lazar? And if he is unprotected, would that be a good way to go for him? Yeah, I expect Curtis Lazar to be unprotected in this expansion draft. He's just he doesn't have the offensive capabilities that other people do uh, that the Sens will have to protect. He's going to. Chris Lazar is an interesting name because of where he was drafted, not because of the skill he brings necessarily to the table. He and Cody Cece are kind of like that. They're players that the Ottawa Senators fan base expected to do really well and expected to be the future core of this team. But up until this point, Curtis Lazar hasn't shown that he can be anything more than a fourth liner, maybe a third liner on a good day. It's just that simple. He doesn't have the offensive ability. And you can argue that's because he was rushed into the NHL and he hasn't been given an opportunity to develop those skills that he had in junior. But even in junior, he wasn't the world's highest scorer. I would like to see him in the AHL. I would like to see Curtis Lazar spend the season in the A this year. There's really no reason to have him on the team when you've got guys like Phil Veroni who can provide the same experience and are 26 years old. And it's clear that they don't have a higher ceiling. You know, this is this is the player that Phil Veroni is. I'd like to see him on the Senators, put Lazar in the AHL, and see if you can develop something. Because right now, he is not the player he was drafted to be. Uh, so if I'm, if, you know, if George McPhee comes to me and says, Colton, should I take Curtis Lazar? I, I would fl- I'd flat out tell him no. You know, there are options on the Senators that will be unprotected. You know, if you want a guy that can c- contribute right now, Zach Smith, not, and you want a forward, I would go Zach Smith. He's a very strong skater. He can provide goals. He's probably not going to match last year's total ever again. But if he can provide 15 goals for you, that's a solid contribution. His contract isn't awful. Um, there's a chance Ryan Dezingle will be unprotected only just because Sens management makes very strange decisions. So if he's unprotected, you know that's your guy on the Senators. But more likely than not, it'll be a defenseman that gets taken from this team. Is this... Uh... This is Mark back here on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Colton Prale, uh, Senators contributor at The Last Word on Hockey and also host of the Game Time Decision Podcast, which I'm sure is on iTunes and Google Play and everywhere else out there. If anybody wants to jump in and, and subscribe to his podcast, that would be much appreciated. Um, one, one more thing. Um, interesting about your, your Curtis Lazar there. He said he was the 17th overall pick in the number one draft, and he's under – in number one uh, – I bungled that 17th overall pick in the first <laughs> round. Um, interesting comparison to someone who was taken at that exact same spot. And nobody wanted after that, uh, Tim Tebow taking number 17 overall <laughs> in the NFL draft by the Denver Broncos. And that did not turn out well for the Broncos. So I like your other suggestions. He, though, on where winning history. he did win. We did win a playoff game uh, and won. And the he had a high spell. So, and he had a Heisman. He had some pedigree too. So, but still, maybe a maybe a reach there at number seventeen by uh, the Denver Broncos. <laughs> um, anyway, just a just an interesting comparison that came to mind there as you were talking about him. Um, one one more thing before we let you go is this is this uh, can we look for the sustainability factor at Ottawa to to push forward now that that Montreal is going to probably. Uh, you know, 10-1 notwithstanding the other night. But uh, Montreal's going to be struggling here to to score with Galchenyuk and Desharnay injuries. 
is this a team that can push forward for the rest of the season into into March and April and contend the way they're playing right now? Are they going to be looking at the deadline maybe to add add something? And if so, what would what would their wish list be? I think this is definitely a team that can make the playoffs. Um, not necessarily do well in the playoffs, but just because of the way the Atlantic division shakes out, I think they can make the playoffs. If you look at their expected goals right now, they're hovering around a 500 team. They're 21st in the league, though, when you sort the standings by expected goals. So this isn't a team that is as good as, you know, second in the Atlantic division suggests. I wouldn't expect their play to continue. They've done extraordinarily well in overtime, in the shootout, in one goal games. You know, it's if you look, at, if you're a baseball fan and you like Pythagorean wins, they're way overperforming by that metric. Um, so I would expect them to to fall off a bit. But because they've got such a cushion now, even a 500 team could contend for a playoff spot. At the trade deadline, the, it, I think they will go out and, and try and get a player. That right wing right now is more. Bobby Ryan has just not been performing. Tom Pyatt is nowhere near NHL caliber. Chris Neal's not going to get you any goals. So outside of Mark Stone, you really only have one right winger. Maybe Clark MacArthur comes back. If he plays more than 10 games without getting another concussion, that's a good thing for the fans. Honestly, he shouldn't be playing hockey right now. He's just not yeah, that's, in that's his situation. best interest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, right wing is definitely an issue that that needs to be fixed for the Senators. And the other one is defense. You know, They have a collection of defenders. They almost have too many defenders. The problem is that none of them are necessarily good defenders outside of Eric Carlson. There is a a strong argument to be made that Chris Weidman is the second best defender on this team, and he's getting less time on ice than Mark Borowiecki. And Mark Borowiecki had a 10-minute major and then another fight on top of that. So he was in the box for 15 minutes last night, and he had more time on ice than Chris Weidman did by a minute. Um, He should be getting top four top four minutes he's been one of their best defenders the only guy who's consistently posted above 50 percent uh course four so he should be getting top four so so they're they definitely need to sort out their defensive depth and their right wing i'd like to see them as sellers at the deadline only because i look at this team i watch them in and out a uh, night in night out and i see this isn't a team that can go deep in the playoffs this isn't even a team that will contend next year with the same roster this is a team that needs to start retooling, that needs to bring in new players, that needs to be ready when Thomas Shabbat and Colin White are in the lineup and Eric Carlson is 27 years old so that you can get the most out of his prime before he leaves for another team at the end of his contract. And This isn't a team that should be contend- that. contending right now. The, is there one, one more thing? Yeah. I, I, keep running along with you in my head here. Is this a team that maybe would compare with the Calgary Flames two years ago where all their metrics are pointing in one direction and yet they're still outperforming that and maybe did themselves as a franchise a disservice as going on into the playoffs, even though it was great. I mean, what do we have six of the or seven Canadian teams in the playoffs that year? And it was fantastic for hockey. And, and one of the best, best series in that first round was Vancouver Calgary. Is this kind of a similar situation we're seeing in Ottawa that maybe they're two or three years ahead of their game? And, and like you just said, maybe, maybe, uh, I mean, long-term interest of the franchise, maybe, maybe getting rid of those pieces is a better, I mean, you can't tell your fan base that obviously, right? <laughs> this is 100%. I actually think it was the same year uh, that you're talking about that Ottawa played Montreal. It might've been the year before, actually. Ottawa played Montreal in the playoffs. It's their only first round win 
in I think the last decade or so. With uh, the Hamburger. Last five years. The Hamburger. It's been it's been bad. And they beat Montreal in the first round. And from a fan's point of view, that was fantastic. It's one of my favorite memories of watching Ottawa Senators hockey in the last half a decade. Awesome. With regards to building a team, that was the worst thing that could have ever happened because it gave management the idea that this is a team that can perform in the playoffs. And the simple truth is they can't. It's it's exactly like Calgary two years ago. Calgary began thinking that they're a team that could get things done in the postseason. And then the fact of the matter is they're still missing a lot of critical pieces before they can make that next step. Um, Ottawa's the exact same way. They've got a solid top six. They've got decent goaltending. They have a franchise defenseman, but their depth is far below NHL average. And it needs to be above that if you ever want to contend for a Stanley Cup. Especially I look for the other teams in that division to uh, come back to where we expected them to be, Tampa Bay specifically. Um, they started out really bad, and they're starting to get their feet under them now. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's. I mean, none of us have the crystal ball, but um, for, for Ottawa Senators' fan base, you got to be excited this, uh, this far into the season that they're they're right there and there is still room to grow. So that's uh, – that's a, that's something to hang your hat on. Chris, you got anything else before we let Colton go? Yeah, thanks, Colton, for, for coming on. We look forward to having you back. Maybe uh, give us some Atlantic Division talk, uh, you know, right around the trade deadline and because uh, it looks like it's going to be uh, a pretty tight division. For sure, for sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Okay, don't, don't forget to follow Colton at Colton Prail, P-R-A-I-L-L on Twitter. He links all of his all of his – Last word on hockey writing and uh, most of his podcasts through his Twitter page. So if you're Senators fan or just want some good hockey content, make sure you go to Twitter, give him a follow, and you'll be able to pick up all this stuff through there. Colton, thank you, sir. We appreciate you coming on. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one, guys. All right, Colton Prale, Senators hockey. Not uh, not all roses and, and, and sugar plums there in Ottawa land, despite the early season success from Colton's point of view, huh? Yeah, I think you had hit a made a great point there, Mark, with the Calgary Flames from a couple of years ago. And what I learned from this is, uh, you know, Columbus. You know, while Mark is not Sheik uh, is not planning a uh, ticket t- uh, tape parade for the Stanley Cup, seems very optimistic about the team. And uh, and it seems like, uh, and that seems like Colton is, uh, you know, this team has uh, definitely played a. Uh, uh, the, the way things have kind of fell, uh, fallen well to them. So uh, something to watch for, um, you know, because Craig Anderson and Mike Conan uh, have just been, uh, especially Craig Anderson, has been terrific, and uh, they're playing above their head for the last for the full season. But uh, we'll we'll see. I mean, it is stranger things that have uh, happened as we saw with that Calgary team from a from a couple of years ago. So uh, yeah, that it, was it, that was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's interesting awesome. to uh, yeah, interesting to see uh, how that plays out. And uh, uh, yeah, I was a little surprised too, just doing some research on Curtis Lazar and, uh, that he was not high on him that uh, he he wouldn't advise uh, Mr. McPhee uh, uh, to go that route. I wonder how much of that is expectations, and how much of that is is like he said, the kid never did get the full year in the AHL to learn the the pro game, if you will. Um, how much of that is 
tabbed from the expectations of being a first round pick and not coming in like some of the other recent, I mean, the last couple drafts have been ridiculous. So don't set your bar on a, a 19, 20 year old kid to come in and, you know, hat trick plus one in your first game, a la Austin Matthews or, you know, the Eichel and, and McDavid and on and on. Um, maybe. And we were talking with the, the St. Louis blues guy not too long ago. And they have a first round pick who's, somewhat overperforming and I think the same thing might apply he might be the guy who needs a fresh start without the expectations without the Canadian spotlight on him where he can just go and and maybe spend a year in the A and and develop that the the other tools you need to play the pro game um I got a I got an idea that that might go ahead my last point and it's a question for you you know, Vegas is going to take, you know, 30 players in expansion, one from each team. And, you know, uh, a main roster is of 23 players. So uh, I don't know the specifics in terms of I believe they're going to be sharing an AHL team with somebody next year. So I wonder, you know, because they're going to take 30 players, will they look at someone like Curtis Lazar because he's so young, he's only 21 years of age, and say, look, you know, let's take a guy like that who has talent, has size, let him play in the AHL next year. He'll be like a prospect for us. And if there's an injury, we can call him up. And we have to take 30 players, and this will be someone kind of in our pipeline. So I wonder uh, if there'll be a couple players like that, especially from a team, you know, that is not like a Columbus uh, who has a William Carlson or a Josh Anderson or Matt Calvert to choose from. Uh I be. I wonder if that that will be a consideration. I guarantee you that 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 type of player on the radar. McPhee said that you might be able to get your your some of your pieces to fit through free agency and the expansion draft is a unique entity. But you build your team through the amateur draft. And a player like this, just a couple of years removed from his draft position, you could almost look at as an extension of the amateur draft. Uh, in the sense that you could take him, like you said, um, plan on him playing in the AHL and and let him develop that pro-style game. I, I, I can guarantee you that kind of player is going to be on their radar. Yeah, no, that would be interesting. Uh, I was just thinking of that. And, uh, again, uh, Colton has a lot more experience uh, watching him play. But, you know, maybe he, it's a case where he's he has been rushed a little bit, confidence and Sometimes a change of scenery and a little bit of a reboot. And, you know, obviously uh, there, there will be opportunity in, in Vegas. Yeah, for sure. And the, the, the other thing that he mentioned about about young Lazar there was that he's – he's <clears throat> it, it's tough for a guy who comes in and he's been the guy for his whole hockey career and he's played on the first line and he's gone through juniors and he's, he's gone in the A and, and there's nowhere for him to go, but the NHL. And after a couple of years, he, he comes up and he slots into that second line right wing position. And he's playing with a bona fide NHL center and a bona fide NHL left winger. And he's getting second minute power play time. And that type of player development is, is the expected route uh, that you can expect if you're that type of a player, but it's got to be difficult to be that seventh forward sitting in the press box, coming down, playing third line minutes, fourth line minutes, maybe getting thrown out there uh, on the penalty kill, uh, you know, at different points of the game. Um, it's difficult to jump on that role 
if you're used to being the other type of player for your whole career, just as far as, as the different skill sets needed from being a third, fourth line player as being a first, second line player. So maybe the, the, the who he's playing with and the role that he's being asked to play don't suit his game as well. And there's a lot, there's a number of players that we can look at, um, that that come up and underperform when they're put in in and I'll use I'll use Mike Richards as an example in his last couple of years of the Kings everybody was saying that oh what happened to Mike he's not scoring so much well for whatever reason you had the 70s line with Carter Toffoli and Pearson that were on fire and Richard's game had started to slack off a little bit and when they moved Carter to center you weren't going to take Jared Stoll who was one of the best faceoff uh centers in the league and take him out of the third line player. So now you've got Mike Richards centering fourth line, playing fourth line minutes, uh, alternated between, you know, Clifford and Nolan. And all of a sudden people start to wonder why is, why his numbers aren't the same anymore. So the, the, that type of, of role reversal really, and there, obviously there were other things involved with Mike Richards, but for a young kid to have to go and take on that different role, it's gotta be a lot of a challenge. So, um, yeah, I think, that that type of player might be beneficial to to take the one of those thirty spots up. What do we got on tap coming up next week? Well, one last point. One thing's for sure: Vegas is going to get a real good young forward from Columbus. And that, that's yeah, I like unless it. Unless they get, unless they, well, even still, even if you know they um, get a Scotty Hartnell to waive his no move clause, you know, uh, at this point, you know, both Carlson and Anderson. Uh, are projected to be exposed. So even if they got an extra, and that's with not counting Clarkson. So even if they got one of those kind of guys to waive their no-move clause, unless they took someone like a Boone Jenner who's had a pretty uh, pretty strong resume and uh, they decided to go with one of the young guys, it would be a little surprising. Um, uh, I, I would be, uh, it looks like to me that uh, William Carlson or Josh Anderson will uh, be in Vegas next year. But uh, in terms of... Uh, Next week, we got our good old buddy J.D. Styles coming on. Going to talk a little L.A. Kings, a little Pacific Division. I believe we're going to have Dana Lane back next week for the Vegas Lane as well. So, yes, uh, sir. He'll be our, we'll have that show uh, next week. We'll probably be, we'll be taking the Christmas week off, and we'll try to get a show in before New Year's, but we already started working on uh, getting some great shows in for January. So we've already, you know, have no fear. We have a lot of good shows coming up. Definitely, definitely. It'll be good to talk to JD again. Um, haven't haven't spoke with him in a while. I have listened to his Kings Road Rules podcast a couple times and have been tempted to call him up and uh, give my two cents, but I didn't want to be uh, Donnie Downer on his podcast, so I, I passed on the opportunity to talk. The couple times I was listening were off some real bad losses. Uh, Carolina the other night I was going to call in and dump on him, but uh, I just didn't have the heart to do it. So it'll be good to have JD well, back on. Uh, that question is very intriguing. I mean, because, you know, you have some teams that have obviously a lot of strengths out there, some veteran teams, but everyone's got their issues. And, you know, uh, Calgary's recently good play. It's, it's a free, you know, it's a bit of a free for all. Uh, it is. Uh, who's going to finish one, one, two, and three uh, out there? And, uh, you know, with some of the teams in the Central uh, being, uh, being a little bit down, more down than we anticipated, uh, um, they, they, you know, maybe there'll be a, there'll be a wild card team for the Pacific, which I didn't think was going to happen. I think you're probably right at this point in the season with Nashville kind of underperforming. Um, Dallas, Minnesota kind of. 
Yeah, can't be happy with Dallas. Minnesota, I kind of underestimated the the uptick that Boudreaux teams have in, in the regular season once he comes on board. Dubnik, for some reason, is playing back to his his uh, down-the-stretch run of two years ago when he just lights out and Mr. Reliable again. So uh, Minnesota hopping up in that division and then of course there's chicago who's always going always going to be chicago you can't can't kill that club no matter what you do um but uh, what what uh, what do you got on tap there for you coming out at eyes on isles or the last word on hockey this week yeah i should have two new articles up uh uh tomorrow by tomorrow um check out last word on hockey.com uh for, especially for you uh expansion People really like reading about expansion there, and obviously all the hockey fans in Vegas. I break down the best left wing options uh, available in expansion, uh, potential options, and I have a new article coming out on Eyes and Isles tomorrow. And again, this is kind of an, an expansion, a uh, uh, little bit twist to it, and that is the Islanders could trade, uh, in my estimation, before the deadline. Uh, Ryan Pulak was a really talented young defenseman who's ready to start his NHL career uh, simply from these latest moves, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, the latest play of certain players. And, uh, you know, George McPhee mentioned him without any prodding when we had him on in the summer, saying how much he liked him. I can guarantee, I don't care who else the Islanders would have available, uh, uh, that um, if he's exposed, that McPhee will take him in a heartbeat. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if... uh, you see a trade there, maybe to get some more offense and using him as a piece and maybe one of their young forwards as a piece kind of thing. So uh, check eyesonisles.com, lastwordonhockey.com, and by the end of the week I should have the uh, the best right-wing options for Vegas as well. So a couple uh, uh, good articles coming out uh, regarding the uh, expansion draft and the Vegas franchise. All right, and I want to give a shout-out to all the listeners and people who've been tuning into the show since uh, the season started. I've seen our viewership go um, not through the roof, but ab- absolutely we've been upticking every week, every week consistently grabbing more and more listeners, and Chris and I both appreciate that a lot. Uh, we, we we do this just for, for you guys, and, and the way the show is formatted is to highlight you know different teams every week and, and try and get everybody involved, and, and we appreciate all the new listeners and the emails that get sent in with show suggestions, critiques, and comments, and, and uh, if you guys go to iTunes or SoundCloud and subscribe to the show, um, keep doing it, man. We love the you, and we appreciate you. Happened. Yep, Before and then the, uh, the next... Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're and, on... Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, uh, you know, you know, you might feel like, oh, gee, I admit, you know, uh, I, I like the show that I listened to today. Well, you know, we try to take a big picture look. Uh, so when we have somebody on, like a couple of weeks ago, we had Nick Guido on about the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, it would still be relevant. Uh, we just had Zach Devine on talking about the Sharks and, and the draft. And a couple of weeks before that, we had Russ Cohen on of Sportsology about the Flyers. So, you know, go back and listen and uh, take a listen to those shows as well. And, and over the summer, we had two great shows with George McVie, the Vegas GM. You know, if you're a Vegas fan, I mean, I would put that as a must listen. And uh, and Clint Malachuk as well. So, uh, you know, go back and, you know, definitely check out some of those earlier shows. And we, we always uh, take a big picture look uh, with our uh, with our guests. 
For sure, for sure. Well, that's gonna that's gonna wrap us up for this week. Make sure you make sure you like Chris was saying, check the archives at iTunes, SoundCloud, the hockeywriters.com podcast page, as well as Blog Talk Radio. Um, the, all our shows are archived in all those locations, and we appre- we appreciate your continuing support. So uh, tune in next week for JD Styles, LA Kings Pacific Division episode for Chris on Mark, and we're gone. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.